Take our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> Last week we looked at a few verses out of this chapter, this famous chapter about faith in the Bible as it gave the definition really of faith and really the statement as well that without faith it's impossible to please him. We looked at that in verse number six. And I told you last week that a very basic, very basic outline for this chapter would be the first three verses really deal with faith defined. This is what faith is. And then the remainder of the chapter is faith demonstrated. This is, these are examples of faith lived out in people's lives. Faith is more than simply a concept uh, or, or, or even a belief in the heart, but rather faith is demonstrated and worked out through our actions and our obedience to the Lord. And so, uh, Lord willing, in coming weeks, we're going to just examine some of these examples of people that the Bible says live by faith, and by faith they obtained a good report of the Lord. They honored the Lord in their lives by faith. Why, why is this important for us? Well, because the just shall live by faith. And we are justified in the name of the Lord. Therefore, we are called to live a life of faith. And so we can learn from the examples of faith laid out here in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're there, would you stand with me as we read one verse of this chapter? That is verse number 4. Hebrews 11, verse number 4. It says here, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and he by it, er, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of the faith of Abel and specifically this statement that God said he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments I pray that Christ would be exalted and that the word of God would go forth and that each of us here would be helped and encouraged and yet maybe convicted about our need to live by faith. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you. We trust you to do in our lives what you want to do. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. The Bible says that by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I want to just focus in on those words for just a, a moment or a few moments here because... Really, the, this statement that, that, that he offered to, to Cain a more, or to God, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain is kind of a continuation of the theme of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, if you're not familiar with it, you ought to be, but if you're not, uh, it, it basically it is a, a New Testament uh, letter that was written to Jewish people who are familiar with the Old Testament law. And it's taking everything that, is, that, that was laid out in, in the Old Testament, everything that was practiced in the Old Testament, and he's revealing the New Testament truth that is de declared by Old Testament practices. And there's a theme of the book that really is summed up with one word. You remember on Sunday mornings we've been 
uh, looking at the book of Philipp uh, Philippians, and there's a kind of a key word, a theme word, that appears over and over throughout that book. What is that word? Rejoice or rejoicing, right? That's the theme of that book. Well, the, the Hebrews has a word that appears over and over and over and reveals to us the theme of that book as well. Does anyone know what the word is that you find occurring in Hebrews over and over? It's the word better. It's the word better. And it, it, it's this idea of as we examine the Old Testament uh, 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 law and, and practices, these things were types and pictures and shadows of what was to come. And that which is, is better, it is greater than the former. That's the, really the, the thrust of the book. It reveals Christ, for instance, as our high priest, who is so much better than the high priest uh, that came from the line of Aaron. Amen. And it, it, it presents Christ as the Lamb, our Passover, which was sacrificed for us. And, and, and presents Him as so much better than those animals that were sacrificed. And so all throughout the book of Hebrews, we find this theme, better, better, better. The real thing is better than the foreshadowing of it. If we were to, um, uh, let's say that uh, we were to build a new building... And as, as, as in the planning process of building a new building, we had an, an architect not only draw up plans for us, but maybe even print out a, a 3D model of what that new facility is going to look like. And we spent some time and some months, you know, just uh, maybe we had it out in the foyer and we'd take a look at it and observe it. And we'd think in our minds, boy, this is going to be great. This is going to be really nice. And, and it, but you know what? When, once that new building was built, it'd be better than the model, right? And that's kind of the whole concept of the book of Hebrews. When, when, when all of the things of the Old Testament were pointing to that which was to come, and that which was to come now is. And it is better than what we used to have. And Christ is better. It's all about that which is better. And so he's continuing this thought, really, of that which is better by using this example of Abel and Cain. You know the story of, of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at, at this in just a few moments, but in Genesis chapter 4, these two brothers came and they brought an offering to the Lord. And Cain, the older brother, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. He, being a farmer, uh, labored and toiled, no doubt, took the best of what he had and what he had grown, and he presented it as an offering to the Lord. And Abel, his younger brother, who was a keeper of the sheep, he was a rancher, we may, may say, uh, brought a, a sacrifice. He brought a lamb from the flock. And he, he slew that lamb and offered really a blood sacrifice to God. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel in his offering, but unto Cain's offering he had not respect. And, and these two brothers really, even though this was a, a real and historic event that took place, these two brothers really became, I think, a, a powerful picture of the difference between man's best efforts to reach God and please God and God's method and God's way of coming to Him. And you really find this, uh, this beautiful uh, 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 parallel between what happened with Cain and Abel and what we see unfolding before us all the time today, whereas Cain no doubt brought a sacrifice to God that 
by all human standards, was much better than Abel's. I mean, even just from a standpoint of physical beauty, if you were to take the, the best of the, uh, of the crops and the harvest and, 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 and bring it together and, and present it in a beautiful way, that would be appealing to the eyes. And really, it would be evidence of, of the labor of man's hands, the very best that he could do. And so you look at that and then compare that with a dead, bloody animal on an altar, and which one looks better to you? I mean, that's a no-brainer. Now, to us, we're, we're, we're meat-eaters, we're carnivores, so we're not necessarily against dead animals so much, right? We, we like to put them on our plates. But, but back in those days, they, they didn't. I mean, they were vegetarians, right? They ate simply the fruit of the ground. So think of the picture of a dead animal was not a pleasing sight. It wasn't something that you would be naturally drawn to. And if you were to look at the two sacrifices, you could say, well, which one took more effort? I mean, Cain had to till the ground and, and by the sweat of his brow and, and, and fighting thorns and thistles and all of those things, he had to uh, till the ground, plant the seed, uh, cultivate it, uh, keep it watered, grow it, and then harvest it and prepare the sacrifice. Whereas what did Abel do? Well, he let the sheep out in the pasture to graze and then he took one of them. <laughs> And, and slit its throat and shed the blood. And you say, well, you know, Cain put a lot more effort into his sacrifice, seemingly, than Abel did. I mean, we could talk to, all, all night about the, the reasons that, that, that we would look at the sacrifice of Cain and we would say that that was better than what Abel did. But God didn't see it that way. God doesn't always see things the way we see them. And so here we are today, and, and what you say, well, what is the parallel? Here's the parallel. The world thinks, and religion often teaches, that in order to reach God, you've got to do your very best to live a clean life and really build a resume of good deeds and good works so that when you get to the end of life, God can look at your life and He can see all of the good you've done and He will accept you based on your testimony of goodness. And that fits, doesn't it, with our human understanding. That makes sense to us. Like, we have a tendency to accept goodness. And yet the gospel preaches a message that's so contrary to that. Here's what that message is. In God's eyes, we're all unclean, unacceptable, wicked, and wretched, and vile. And yet Christ came and He died in our place. And He paid the penalty for our sins. He bore our sins upon Himself. In fact, the Bible says He became sin for us, though He Himself knew no sin. And He shed His blood so that anyone who will come to Him by faith will be saved. And the result of that is this. God saves not the best people. He doesn't save those who have done a good job here on earth. He doesn't save those who were successful in life and raised a good family and lived as moral, upstanding citizens. In fact, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus was hated because 
the people that he reached out to were often the outcasts of society. And, and they were the publicans and sinners. And they were the, the prostitutes. And the, it was the dregs of society. This would be like, like, like God saving the, the drug addict on the street or, or the, the rapist in prison. And, and, and we look at these people and we say, why is it that God would be willing to save a, a murderer and yet this sweet old lady who's lived a moral upstanding life ends up dying and going to hell because she wasn't good enough. This doesn't fit with human reasoning, but friend, I want you to know that God's ways are not our ways, and God doesn't see as we see. And so even though Cain did that which was right in the eyes of man, and it looked good and it seemed good, it wasn't what God had demanded. And friend, tonight, if you're here and you're trusting in your own goodness and you're thinking, you know, I'll be okay because I've, I've done my best in life and I've always been a churchgoer and I've always been a moral person. Friend, you are following in the way of Cain that's trying to offer to God that which looks good to you. But God's not looking for your goodness because your goodness could never measure up. To his. But the blood of Christ, the shed blood of the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, is sufficient to save our souls. It is the offering that is acceptable to God. And while Cain and Abel brought two very distinct offerings to the Lord, and God looked at one and he said, This is good, and he looked at the other and he said, It is not. The one that he looked at and accepted as good was that which pictured the lamb that would come and shed his blood for the sins of the world. And friend, if, if you're here tonight, you have never received Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. You must be born again. You need Jesus in your life. And no amount of goodness that you have or that you do will ever make you right with God. You need Christ. And so these, these two brothers are this powerful picture of, of, of the, the, the difference between men who come to God on their own terms and those who accept God's standard. And so what do we learn about faith from the life of Abel, Abel here? It says that this more excellent sacrifice that he offered than Cain was was offered by faith. And if you remember last week, we, we saw that faith is not that which we can see. And because it's not that which we can see, it also is often obedience to God, even at times that we do not understand. And so I would say this, the first thing that we learn from Abel's sacrifice is that faith is exercised when we obey God contrary to our own understanding. Faith in God is demonstrated when we obey Him contrary to our own understanding. By all human reasoning, Cain's sacrifice was far better, but the reason that it was not accepted is because it was not God's way. Go with me if you would. Hold your place here. And let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Before Cain and Abel were even born. 
we find the Lord really making the way by which mankind could be saved. It says in verse number, verses 1 through 6 are Adam and Eve partaking of that fruit that God had told them not to and falling into sin. It says in verse number 7, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And the first realization of their mind was, we're naked. Now, in the previous chapter, it said that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. But now, because sin entered the picture, shame entered the picture. And this nakedness that was so normal and natural, and, and never, they never gave it a, a second thought, now there was this realization that they needed to be covered. You ever had one of those nightmares where you, you show up at work or school or something and you're not wearing any clothes and somehow you don't realize it until you get there, you know? The poor guy on the subway knew, but you missed it somehow, right? Uh, you ever have one of those silly dreams? And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's such an embarrassing and uncomfortable feeling, right? Because there's shame, and so what does man do to try to cover the shame? He covers it. And so Adam and Eve, they sew fig leaves together and make aprons. Hey, we've got to cover up this shame. And yet it didn't work. Because by verse number 8, it says, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So even though they had tried to cover their shame, when God came along, they knew we, we can't be in his presence. There was shame. And even though they had done their very best to try to cover that shame, their shame was still there. It remained. But then when we come to verse number 21, we, we find this simple statement, and it may mean very little to you. But it says in verse 21, and unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? Amen. So while they had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and it didn't work, God said, let me give you something that will work. Let me give you a covering for your shame. And here's what he did. He took skin, the skin of an animal, leather, and he made clothing and covered them. You say, well, what, what is the significance of that? Well, in order to get the skin of an animal, that animal has to die. Again, a, a picture of the fact that because sin had entered, it required death. The covering of shame required death, the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, the Bible says in Hebrews, there is no remission. And so blood had to be shed. Imagine, think about this, Be, put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes. We live in a world where death is normal. They didn't. 
Imagine watching, probably for the first time, an animal die. God killing that animal in order to give you clothing that you have to wear because of your sin. Imagine that, that sense, that feeling of what have I done that my actions require the death of this innocent animal. And God then takes that skin and he clothes them and covers them. And that, from that point, there was an understanding. Sin brings forth death. Bloodshed is required. And so God sets this picture there. By the way, a few verses earlier, he, and I'm so thankful for this, sin entered the picture in the first few verses of this chapter, and God gave the solution right away because in verse number 15, he said, I will put enmity, speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a, this is a statement of what Jesus Christ was going to do when he would come. And so man brings sin into the world and God brings the answer immediately. Praise the Lord for that. But for the time being, there is this understanding that was, that, that was somehow given to Adam and Eve and their descendants that what God required was the shedding of blood. And so really when Cain took that which was <clears throat> pleasing to the eyes and a result of his work and his efforts and brought this to the Lord... While one could look at it and say this was a sacrifice that he was making in an attempt to please God, the reality is we could look at it and say it was also an act of rebellion against God. Because rather than accepting God's way and God's standard of, of, of approaching him, he went about it his own way. And he followed his own understanding. We need to understand something, friends. When we, when we seek to come to God, obviously, first and foremost, in salvation, there is only one way, and it's God's way. And it may not make a lot of sense to sinners like you and me, but it's God's way, and that way is Jesus. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. But you know, even beyond just our salvation, in our worship of God... We need to do things his way. Jesus said uh, to the Samaritan woman at John, in John chapter 4 that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what that means? There is a must in our worship. There is a requirement for worship to be acceptable. And that requirement is this. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, our worship needs to be aligned with God and his nature and his order. And so when we think about this, when we think, well, I like this particular style of worship. What does that matter? Who are you worshiping? You come to God on his terms, not yours. 
And what was Cain doing? He was trying to come to God on his own terms. Because this made sense to Cain. And this was the best that Cain had to offer. Rather than simply saying, you know what, God, I wish that I had something that would be pleasing to you. But I know that what you require is a blood sacrifice. Now, friend, you say, what what does this have to do with me? Listen, sometimes faith means obeying God even when it doesn't make sense to us. And this is one of the hardest things about living by faith because oftentimes God's ways don't make sense to us. It's easy for me to stand back and say, you know, God's ways are not my ways. But when God's ways contradict my ways then it becomes difficult because I have to be willing to trust him and obey him even when it doesn't feel good. Even when I can't quite wrap my mind around it, I still need to live in obedience to the word of God. Faith ultimately is the acceptance that God's way is better than my way. easy to obey God when it makes sense to us. Have you ever had to obey God when you didn't understand? Go with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3. We're going to read a couple verses that we're pretty familiar with, and then maybe a few others that you may not be as familiar with. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We're familiar with those verses. How about the next one? Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. And then he gives what I believe is kind of one example of what this looks like. Because here's what he says, verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. So the first thing he, he says after he tells us to trust in the Lord, to lean not on our own understanding, to be not wise in our own eyes, he says... Essentially, here's an example. Give to God first, and God can bless you. Now, this is an example of one area that God's word contradicts our human reasoning. How is it possible that by giving of what I have, in the end, I'll have more than I would have? had I not given. And so the New Testament concept to a Christian would be this. How is it possible that I can live better on 90% of my income with God's blessing than I could on 100% without it? Because it seems like I'm struggling to get by. How can I take the first of what God's given me and give it back to him before I pay my bills? Before I buy groceries, like how can I 
Well, it's ultimately it's faith. It's faith that says, you know what? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't click in my mind. But I'm going to trust God and I'm going to obey Him in this area. And friends, that's just one small area. There are so many other things that we look at that as we go through the Bible, we, we, we think, what in the world? <laughs> How am I supposed to obey this? It doesn't make sense. And yet, as we honor the Lord, and we put his word to practice and we obey him, we find that God is always faithful. And God's way is always best. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. And so Abel's faith teaches us that faith is obeying God even when it contradicts our own understanding. Secondly, though, as we go back to Hebrews 4... Abel's obedience and Abel's faith teaches us that faith or, or that obedience is evidence of inward faith. Because it says here, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Abel's sacrifice was a witness or a testimony that he was righteous. Notice it does not say that by this sacrifice he became righteous. It's not like Cain offered his sacrifice, God said, not interested. Abel offers his sacrifice and he says, Abel, you're saved now. No, it says that by his sacrifice he obtained witness. That he was righteous. It was simply proof of what he believed. Righteousness doesn't come by sacrifice, only by Christ's sacrifice. David even said that in Psalm 51, didn't he? Sacrifices and offerings, that was not required. A broken and contrite heart, those are the sacrifices that God is looking for. And so it wasn't that this sacrifice that Abel offered to God made him righteous. Abel, you're saved because you offered this sacrifice. And Cain, you're not saved because you came this way. No, actually it was this. Abel, by your sacrifice, you've proven what was already true of you. That your faith was not in your own abilities, but in mine. There's a principle that's borne out throughout all of Scripture, and that is this. Our actions are evidence of what we really believe in our heart. You will practice what you believe. Therefore, what you do doesn't make you righteous with God, but if you are right with God, there will be evidence of such. Go with me, if you will, to James chapter number 2. James chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 15. Uh, 14, rather. It says here, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? And then here's the... $6,000 question. Can faith save him? 
How many of you think faith can save? Except if you don't have works. You say, well, wait a second. Salvation isn't by works. No, salvation is by faith. But salvation that is by faith is salvation that will work because faith produces works. It produces actions. And so here's what it says in verse number 15. This is an illustration. Here's what it says. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? What good are your words if there's no action to accompany that? At the end of the day, if, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you come along and say, brother, I really love you. I sure hope things get better for you. And you have, your, you have the ability in your hand to help them, but you don't do that. Your words were words without profit. They were empty. That's the point. Because if those words were true, action would follow. In the same way, notice, this is an illustration. He's not saying you are made righteous by helping poor people. That's not what he's saying. He's using an illustration. He's saying, see how unprofitable that is? It's just empty words, vain words to say, be warmed and filled. If you don't take steps to actually try to warm and fill them. He says that even so, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so the idea is this, rather than tell me how much faith you have, the idea is, let me observe your life. Because what I see in your life is what is true of you, regardless of what your mouth says. And folks, I believe that too often, we talk a good talk about living by faith. But the, the truth of our life of faith is proved out in our obedience to God. And so may I ask you, how's your faith tonight? Well, I believe God. I believe this book from cover to cover. Do you obey it? I mean, your actions prove what you really believe. And this is, this, this is what he's saying. Listen, even God, notice, notice here in Hebrews, it says that he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. It wasn't just other people saying, oh yeah, Abel, see, he's, he's got faith in his life. God himself, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, had respect unto Abel and his offering. You say, well, God's not a respecter of persons. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't respect one person over another. He doesn't show favor on some and not on others because of their goodness. But that does not mean that God doesn't have respect for our obedience. God had respect 
toward Abel and his sacrifice and not to Cain. Because Abel's sacrifice, Abel's obedience evidenced the faith that was in his heart. By it, he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And then we see this. Obedience to God by faith leaves a legacy beyond our years. Because here's what it said. And he, and by it, he, being dead, yet speaketh. We don't know exactly how old Abel was when he died. The Bible doesn't tell us. He may have been old by today's standards, but he was pretty young by Genesis, early Genesis standards. In a day and age when people were living to 900 years old, he probably didn't make it to 100. And really, we don't know much about Abel. Can you name something that Abel did other than keep sheep and offer this sacrifice? There aren't many things written of him. But here we are. 6,000 years later, and tonight, think about this with me, tonight, Abel's sacrifice preached the gospel to you. That's pretty powerful. That is pretty powerful when you think about it. He being dead, yet speaketh. Why does this, this excites me so much, but why? Because I I believe in in every one of us, there's a desire to leave an impression on this world. I think the older we get, maybe the more aware we become of this. That the life that we have is short, but, but we don't want, when we die, we don't want to be forgotten, right? We want, we want our life here to have counted for something and to actually leave a mark on this world. And people live their lives trying to leave, leave a legacy or leave an inheritance I mean, I've even thought about this as we've walked our property at different times and seen a few of the the really big trees that have been there for probably a hundred years and thought, you know, the, the person that planted that tree is long gone, but the fruit of their hands remains. And I've thought, you know, I, I want my, I want my, I want to leave something behind. And it's one of the reasons that that parents ought to be investing in their children. And grandparents ought to be investing in their grandchildren. Because we want to leave something behind that can make a difference in the world. And the very first person to ever physically die left a legacy that is still being preached 6,000 years later. He being dead, yet speaketh. Think about this. If you'll live a life of faith. Trusting God, even when it doesn't make sense to you. Trusting and obeying Him. You'll find that your influence and your impact outlasts you. If you live according to human reasoning, chances are you, like most other people in the world, will live for a period of time, 
die and within a generation be pretty well forgotten. But if you'll live a life of obedience by faith in God, you, being dead, may yet speak. So by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And by him we learn that faith is obedience to God even when it contradicts our human reasoning. And that faith and obedience by faith is, is evidence of that which is real within us. And that obedience to God by faith really has eternal reward. Are you living by faith tonight? Are you living by the example of Abel's faith? 